0: Magdalena Boulet, welcome to the Morning Shakeout podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to
0: do this. So we're here in your office Mm -hmm. at Goo headquarters in Berkeley, California. Let's start there. Um, You've had a long-term relationship with Goo, first as an athlete and as an employee in recent years. So when did you first become connected with the brand?
1: Right. So I... I I feel like my story is, uh, it's a great story. At least I feel like it's a great story, but back in, uh, I graduated from college in 97. And at some point after, you know, after trying to be a pro runner in a 5k for about a year and a half, uh, I kind of struggled and hit a plateau. I kept running the same time. Imagine how frustrating that is just 5k four times in a row with him like a a second. Yeah. Um, I got frustrated. I said, what am I doing wrong? What's, you know, what's, what's not working? And kind of just analyzing my training with my coach. And, you know, I felt like, or we both felt like I was doing what I needed to do in training. So looking at my nutrition, um, we started to, you know, we started to analyze that. And I said, you know what, there is this company in Berkeley and uh why not just go to someone who is an expert in the field of uh, nutrition and performance? So I kind of invited myself to GU, uh in, you know, in 98, I kind of knocked on the door and I said, can I talk to the founder of GU? And I just kind of wanted to talk nutrition and performance and running. And yeah, that's where it all began. I actually started, um, I loved the discussion that we had here with Dr. Vaughn and really inspired me to kind of chase that 1% and keep improving in areas that, you know, I had room to improve. Uh, I started working part-time doing uh, a little bit of uh, research uh, for Gu and then went back to school and got my master's degree in sports nutrition and then came on board full-time eventually and that's been since 99 <laughs> It's been a long time.
0: Yeah. And what do you do here now?
1: So I'm uh, the vice president of uh, innovation and research and development. So I think of new product, new product ideas, optimize current flavors. And um, yeah, I have a team of uh, food scientists and sports nutritionists on staff. And, you know, there is a lot of uh, field testing involved and a lot of brainstorming and a lot of fun stuff working with athletes of all sports, not just running
0: yeah. And how cool is that part of it for you to still be, I mean, you're obviously still involved as an athlete and we'll talk about that here in a bit, but to be involved at a different level with yeah. other runners, but athletes in some of these other endurance sports who are doing some pretty remarkable things.
1: Right. And there's, you know, you always learn something, something new. There's always a new challenge that an athlete is overcoming. Uh, in, in, again, not just not just in, uh, in running, but uh, in different sports and you know, you can reapply that to, you know, to different sports. And, uh, it's just always, you're always on the learning curve.
0: Mm -hmm. How long has Berkeley been home for you?
1: So I came out here in 90, uh, 94. Yeah. From Long Beach to Cal. Uh, and I graduated in 97. So yeah, it's how many years is that? It's a, it's (laughs) been a long time. (laughs)
0: <laughs> sorry for the reminder
1: <laughs> I, I know and but you know what uh I never left because I loved it here so much you know this uh yeah you know, I came out to Cal because uh of uh of the academics uh and obviously I had an opportunity to you know to compete for Cal which uh was a bonus but um yeah I just fell in love I fell in love with the East Bay uh after you know after graduating I moved to Oakland and love it even more I mean I love you know Yeah, I loved living here. There is just so much to do, uh, so much to cover, uh, very close to, you know, to, to Marin, where my husband is from and close to the city. Just, yeah it's it's one of the greatest places on earth
0: (laughs) so there's a lot that i want to dig into there i mean you are not from california you're not from the u.s you grew up in poland then you immigrated here which is something that i can relate to because my dad immigrated here from italy when he was 12 years old so i've grown up you know sort of in that type of environment Mm -hmm. so let's let's kind of go back to you know your beginnings here well, in the U.S., but certainly certainly before that. Tell us a little bit about your, your childhood in, in Poland and what it was like growing up there.
1: Yeah, I had a great childhood. I mean, I grew up in a communist country, so I didn't know any better. Um, but, you know, both of my parents, um, um, you know, now I th- think about, like, my childhood. I, you know, I, I was a pretty happy child. I swam. Uh, I signed myself up for, for swimming when I was, you know, when I was... Uh, I think 12 and told my parents that I was on a swim team and my parents worked a lot. So they kind of just encouraged me to do whatever I wanted to do. And I was very inspired from early age to, you know, to, to be on a team, to, to participate in sports. And I was going to find way, you know, find way one way or the other to, you know, to, uh, to do something. And swimming was something that kind of fell into my life. Uh, I think I had a dream of being a lifeguard, so I just kind of showed up, you know, like, Hey, how do I become a lifeguard? They say, well, you better start swimming first and learn how to swim well. So that's how I got involved with swimming. And I continued to do that, um, for a few years. And, um, yeah, I, um, did great in school. I grew up with, uh, with a younger brother. Uh, and then one day when I was, uh, 15, uh, my mom told me that my dad left the country and he wasn't coming back. Uh, and that was kind of just like, you know, like, what do you mean he left us? Uh, it was just, you know, just an eye opener, like, what's happening? Um. You know, my mom tried to explain to us that, you know, he's going to look for a brighter future for us, that he's going to work overseas and, you know, eventually we're going to go and visit him. But that process of visiting my dad took another three years. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I'm a teen, you know, I'm in, I'm in my teens, late teens, some establishing relationship. And my mom, you know, says, oh, we're going to move to, you know, Germany now. That's,
0: said, where that's where your dad went.
1: That's where my dad went. Yeah. Uh, in West Germany. And that was, you know, as a teen, that's so difficult because you just, you know, you know your one world and it's your friends and school and um I remember fighting and resisting that quite a bit. I, you know, just was not uh you know, appreciative at that time of uh of what was happening and didn't really want to listen that my parents were, you know, really just setting us up, myself and my brother, for you know, a different future. And again, Poland was still communist at that time. So when we when we left, we reunited with my dad. And I remember getting off the train and not seeing my dad for three years. The first thing I said, I'm going home next week versus, hi, I missed you. But again, you know, there are a lot of excuses there that I, you know, I for my behavior. uh, Again, just, you know, being a teens, you live in a different
0: world. Wow, it sounds a lot like my my own dad's story. I mean, he grew up in in Italy till he was ten, and then my grandfather went to France for a couple of years, yeah. and they didn't see each other for a while, and right. then they reunited in France, and eventually here yeah. to, to the U.S. So it's like, wow, that's like such an eerily similar right. story. Had you growing up, had you ever been outside of Poland before you moved to Germany?
1: You know, I. As, as an athlete. So again, I competed in swimming. So I got into not just swimming, but competitive swimming and had an opportunity to, to go to Russia, to Bulgaria and to, uh, to other Eastern European countries for some little competition with my team. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, a little bit, but. Nothing of the, you know, outside of the Eastern Bloc. Yeah,
0: your worldview is pretty limited at that Very point.
1: Very limited, yes. Um,
0: were you aware of the United States as a 15-year-old?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's, and, you know, in my mind is where, you know, money grew in trees. Yeah. That's kind of, that's the, that's the story that, you know, we were told.
0: Yeah. So we'll move on here in a bit, but as a swimmer, I'm really curious, were you competitive at distance races? Were you more of a sprinter? What was your specialty as a swimmer?
1: Right. So I, you know, again, I, um, I I believe that if I had longevity in the sport, I eventually would have ended up as a distance swimmer but I did the 100 and 200. Sometimes occasionally I got thrown in, in a 50, but mostly, mostly, uh, yeah, I, I did, uh, I am so all the, uh, all of the strokes and some freestyle, you know, I think that,
0: uh,
1: it just c- kind of looking at my evolution as an athlete, I probably would have ended up as a distance swimmer. Yeah.
0: Obviously running occupies a lot of your time now. Do you ever yeah. get in the pool just to splash around?
1: Uh I do not as much as I would like to you know i I have a very healthy relationship with swimming, you know for most runners, they get in a pool when they when they get hurt, yeah. so it's that negative association sure. for me uh swimming is kind of just you know just uh uh you know now a way of cross training occasionally, but just kind of a feel good, do something different, and I'm very comfortable in the water mm-hmm. uh, and I miss it. I definitely miss it, but um I'm very lucky that. I get to spend a lot of time now above the water <laughs> and in nature.
0: When did you come to the U.S.?
1: So I was uh, uh, 18 years old, um, and I was actually my first, uh, my last year of uh, of high school, and we had family in Long mm-hmm. Beach. So I went straight from Germany to uh which if you really think were in germany i was north of hamburg okay. which is um a city called kiel and it's it's really gray it gets a lot of rain uh it's a port city and i come to this sunny long beach and this is where my family lived uh and it felt really like wow the stories that i've heard about us they're totally true. That
0: was America. To you. <laughs> this
1: was America. Palm trees, beach. Uh I spent the first year in my shorts. I refused to put pants on because why not? You could. Uh and a lot of time on the beach. Yeah. How oh, was your paradise. English at that point? Oh, horrible. It was awful. I so as a, you know, as um as a student in Poland, we only had one option and it was to take Russian. Mhm. When I went to Germany, I realized that I was already behind with languages because kids in, Ger- in Germany were taking French and English and, 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 uh, you know, I, and they were already at my age, they were already, I think, in like, you know, whatever, fourth year of foreign languages, um, at school. So I got really creative and I said, well, Uh, I'll take Latin because uh, everyone's going to be struggling with Latin. I can't keep up with the kids that are taking English and Spanish and French. So I, as my second language, I uh, signed up for Latin and I was on the equal level with a lot of the kids without realizing that that was putting me even further behind by the time we got, you know, to, uh, to United States. So very little, I knew words like please and thank you. It's like, whatever you, you know, whatever you need to know to, uh, to get by when you are traveling. Yeah. And I kind of got thrown in, uh, high school and started taking night classes to, to, to learn, uh, as quickly as possible. So I could go to college
0: yeah and how many years after you arrived in long Beach was it till you went to college
1: so i right after uh my first year of high school, I went to long beach city College mm-hmm. and then two years after that I transferred to cal
0: okay and when did running come into your life during all of this
1: so uh one day i was um um I was in high school um I made a friend during lunchtime who um who was on a team. Who this is here a, in the U.S.? Yep. Long Beach um, uh, Lakewood High School. I um, uh, after sw- I actually signed up for a swim team because that's, again, that was my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I said, that's the first thing I need to do. This is how you make friends. You show up and you, you know, sign up for a team. So I signed up, signed up for, for swimming and then, I don't know, just one day the season ended kind of too soon for me. I think I was just warming up and I ended up just out of nowhere, I'm like, I'm gonna go and run some laps on the track because I need to do something. Why not? Like, I, there's the pool was closed basically. So, um, and the coach, the high school coach, kind of spotted me running and he's like, Who are you? I'm like, Leave me alone. I, I'm a swimmer. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I definitely remember saying, I'm not a runner, I'm a swimmer. <laughs>
0: And That's di- why
1: I identified with.
0: Yeah, and did he stay on top of you to join the team, or where did go from there?
1: He did, and then again, I I met someone on a team, and we who was on a cross country team and track team, and we became friends. And I remember I got invited to you know to uh, to to join a workout or a run, and my first run ever. I remember just just having the feeling of just so much joy. I said, "Wow, I." how come I've never experienced this before in a pool? <laughs> this is so cool. Uh, and it was more about just, you know, the fact that I had this, like, the feeling of, like, being competitive um, that I, I never really, never clicked in swimming.
0: So that first run, were you by yourself or were you with your no, teammates? No, I was
1: with, with, with teammates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very quickly, you know, I realized that, well, well, I'm not going to be on this team for very long. I only have like six months. And that's when, you know, I made the decision to go to Long Beach City College so I can actually take a look at running and get my prereqs for, you know, for, um, for a four-year college.
0: Were you on the team at Long Beach?
1: I was, yeah.
0: And what events were you running at the time?
1: Well, I tried everything, but mostly distance. I mean, I started as a 1500-meter runner. I... um I wasn't really good, but, um, cross country, I, um, you know, it it was great. I mean, I was so new to running that, you know, every race I would just improve uh, tremendously. And by the time I hit my second year at Long Beach City College, I remember looking at my coach and saying, I really want to run in college. Like post this, this is, I'm just getting started and I can feel it. Um, and she goes, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to go to this school and that school. And I want to talk to all the coaches. And again, at that point, my times were not fast enough. But I remember convincing her to triple at the state meet. I said, I'm going to get noticed somehow. <laughs> so I did. I tripled in uh, 15, the 3,000 and
0: 5,000. This is over two days? Mm-hmm. And how'd they go?
1: Uh, I think I finished one, two, and three. I got on a podium in all three of them and... Uh, you know, I remember Tony Sandoval was, uh, from Cal was, uh, I think it was Pac Tans at UCLA and he agreed to, you know, to, to give me an hour of his time and meet with me. He came to my house and, um, you know, asked me why I wanted to go to Cal. He looked at my times and he, he kind of said, kid, I don't know how good you're going to be, but you're tough and we're going to give you a chance. I'm like, that's all I need.
0: I mean, what kind of times were you running do you remember
1: i ran like 1720 for a 5k um i don't remember what i ran for you know for for 1500 it couldn't have been that fast
0: that's like a uh, solid time but not yeah. like division 1 no, absolutely All american not. caliber type absolutely
1: stuff. not yeah um i definitely did not have i was in my second year of running ever and um you know i I love to compete. That was uh, besides the training that, you know, eventually like, you know, I learned how to train. Uh, I was pretty clueless at that time, but um, yeah, I love to compete and I think it was, you know, and I was ready to put some serious work.
0: And that love for competition has never wavered, has it?
1: Right, right. Yeah, It's it keeps going, <laughs> keeps going.
0: So I want to stay on this for a little while. Tell me about your first visit, here to Berkeley, to Cal, were you just infatuated with the school in the area? And we're like, I want to go there.
1: Well, that's a really funny story too. <laughs> so um I was kind of a late addition to, you know, by the time I showed up to, for my visit to Cal, the kids were already gone. So it was right after the season ended and summer started. So I showed up. And it's summertime. It's, you know, whatever, right after NC's. And, uh, it was just Tony and I, and he kind of just took me around, you know, telegraph. I fell in love with telegraph, like as soon as I put my foot on. Yes, this is, this is so me. (laughs) Plus, I had a lot of influence, like one of my teachers, Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, in, in high school, uh, and I rented a room from her, went to Cal. So I just, I knew, and in the sixties, she went to Cal in the sixties. So I, I definitely had so many stories in my head. You know, I went through Sproul Hole I'm like, I remember the story she told me. And again, just, I was blown away by the campus. I was blown away by Telegraph and the diversity that Cal uh, had to offer. Totally even like forgot about the trails. remember Tony taking me up to uh, Redwood Regional Park. I'm like, what? This exists here on top of, you know, uh, what the campus has to offer? Uh, pretty amazing right outside the city you've
0: got this wide open space and uh, miles and
1: miles of just redwoods right so i mean i was sold within an hour but the funny part none of it was really that funny the funny part was is that the weekend before i showed up to cal um i was racing my dad on a road bike i was kind of playing around with doing some triathlons here and there like short distance, right? The 5K and uh, on the mountain bike. But I got a road bike and I got my dad into riding. And we were on a canal uh, path uh, in Long Beach and I was riding someone's wheel and I got too close. My dad was behind me and I lost control. My bike just started going from side to side. Uh And I hit a fence on one side and landed... My bike, I think, got left there, but I landed in front of my dad. (laughs) And he rode over me, flipped, and we're just both on the ground. And I'm just like, wow, I just killed my dad. (laughs) But both of us walked away just fine. Helmets just scraped up everywhere. The bikes were totaled. That was my experience with riding. And I showed up to Cal just wearing long sleeve shirts, Mm-hmm. jeans covering up all my just you know fresh wounds mm-hmm. and if you don't know Tony Sandoval he walks like 10 miles an hour he it just speeds walks all the time and I couldn't keep up with him going through campus because I was in so much pain but I wasn't gonna tell him then you know I just crashed on a bike.
0: Were your parents athletic?
1: Um. Yes I think that uh, I didn't learn that till Actually, when I made the Olympic team, my mom told me that she ran uh, 400 in, you know, in her younger days. My dad was a swimmer uh, and he also um, uh, likes to sail. So um, both of them did something, not as much now, as much as I try to encourage them. But
0: There's some athletic genes there, though.
1: Yeah, I think a little bit. Okay. You know, I mean, my parents were not like world class, but they definitely uh uh-huh. participated in this course.
0: Hey, we're gonna take a quick break so I can thank our sponsor for this episode. It is UCAN. ucan powders and bars with superstarch give you slow release carbs without the big crash. That's long-lasting energy without the sugar spikes and it's easy on the stomach before you head out and run. I can personally vouch for UCAN as I've used the drink powder to fuel my last few marathons, including Boston just a couple months ago, and it has been an integral part of my pre-race nutrition plan. But don't just take my word for it. Top athletes like Meb, Dathan Ritzenhain, and members of the Zap Fitness Racing Team use it to fuel their training and racing as well. UCAN is ideal for any runner looking to fuel workouts and races without all the sugar of many other sports drinks. There's nothing out there quite like it. So, I'd recommend trying a UCAN sample pack for yourself. You'll get one packet of UCAN Superstarch drink mix, one packet of UCAN protein drink mix, and one UCAN snack bar all for under 5 bucks, and that includes free shipping. Check it out today at generationucan.com slash morningshakeout. There is no the, just slash morningshakeout and see what you think. My thanks to UCAN for their support of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Let's get back to the show. So what year did you graduate from Cal?
1: 97.
0: And when you graduated, what was the state of your competitive running career at that time? had you had some success at the university?
1: So kind of on and off, I think, you know, I tried to learn how to stay healthy, uh, for the most part. Uh, and I did pretty well. I had, you know, a couple injury, injuries when I was at Cal, but nothing, you know, too too uh, um, to major, just basically just doing too much too soon for someone who's so new to running.
0: Right. You're still only, what, four four years in at that point? Four years
1: in, you know, so uh, sometimes, you know, that's less than some high school kids graduating, right? Sure. Um, my, my last, uh, my last season at Cal is when things started to really click for me. I started to gain consistency. I, um, I started to doing a little bit more demanding workouts that I've never done before. I was recovering faster. And I remember going to, I qualified for uh, nationals mm-hmm. and uh, I finished third. I finished third and I got out leaned at the, at the, at the line. I almost got second in what uh, event? to Mary Cub um, in 5,000. Okay. And that was my last race at Cal. And I remember walking off the track, just, feeling extremely sad. I said, I can't believe this is over. Like, I I feel like I'm just starting to figure this out.
0: So at that point, you didn't have any real thoughts about continuing your competitive career. You just thought, okay, I'm I'm done with college. I'm done with competitive running.
1: Well, that's kind of the path that I was on. Mm -hmm. That's what, you know, most women at least did that, you know, I was uh, training with, um, except that, you know, there are there were a couple people or there was one guy on our team who actually didn't take that path.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm married to him now.
0: <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs>
1: we'll get into that. But, uh, you know, just having seen that, that really close, I'm like, wow, you know, Richie was training post-college and he was kind of chasing his dreams. Like, is there room for me to do that? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there, there, were no teams. The only team around was, uh, the mammoth team. You know, that was where people were training, uh, was you know, Dina and Meb and Abdi were up in, up in mammoth, you know, starting the group and doing really well. Um, but I wasn't ready to move. Um, and yeah, it kind of, it took me a while to figure out what to do with running and yeah. I made a lot of mistakes.
0: What did you study as an undergrad at Cal?
1: Uh, I studied Excise Phys. Okay. It was called um, Human Biodynamics. I studied under George Brooks, um, which, you know, to this day I'm so lucky that I had the opportunity to study under him. Um, yeah, it's a, now it's called Integrative Biology. Mm-hmm. They combined the programs.
0: And at the time, did you have any sort of hopes to put that degree to use somewhere right after school, or were you just at a loss of where you would go next?
1: You know, uh, yes. I mean, I wanted to continue to stay in the field, and you know, eventually, you know, I had few things. You know, I was looking at maybe PT school. I was looking at uh, um, at uh, teaching. I was looking at uh, just going in exercise physiology, just at that, like rehab level. Um, all of that stuff was definitely you know up there, but um, deep inside, I kind of wanted to see if I could. If I could uh, make it in running.
0: Yeah. Um, You knew knew there was some untapped potential there.
1: I knew that there was, you know, that there was something and just, I didn't know how to execute it. I felt really lost.
0: Tell me about when you met Richie. (sighs)
1: So uh, we met in college. Uh, We were teammates. Uh, uh, I had a boyfriend and he had a girlfriend later so there was we were just friends and teammates and uh you know obviously like watching his success in college was you know was really inspiring like you know he you know he was you know the guy in a team that got it done and watching him train and in post-college kind of Watching him dedicate himself to full time, uh, full time training was, uh, really, you know, a great example for me, which took me another decade to realize that maybe you should try to train full time. Um, yeah. So that's where we met and, uh, we were really good friends. And then after, you know, I graduated, uh, from, from college, uh, it happened that both of us were single and we went on a date. (laughs)
0: And the rest is history. And
1: the rest is history.
0: <laughs> How did, let's dig a little deeper into his own competitive pursuits after college. How specifically did that inspire you to continue along your own path?
1: Right. I mean, he was really, Richie was really good about just really like putting everything, you know, um, on a burner uh, and just throwing himself into full-time training. Uh, it was all about rest, recovery. It was, you know, he trained with the farm team uh, in his, like, final uh, couple of years of uh, of competition. You know, he would go to, you know, to altitude uh, training camps. He would, you know, he, he did everything that um, a professional runner needed to do. And to me, you know, that was, he was the only person that actually I witnessed doing, um, you know, that type of, uh, complete approach to, you know, to, to professional running. Uh, and you could, you know, you could see like his, you know, he had great success and, in just continue to, uh, to improve. Uh, but I also saw the other side of, you know, him, you know, struggling with some injuries and, uh, kind of that losing that, um, <clears throat> you know, that, that fire to, you know, to, to continue because of how, um, you know, when you, when you, when you have that cycle of just you compete and then you get injured, you compete and you get injured, um, it, it gets old. Yeah. Um, it gets, gets really old. And, you know, uh, some of us, um, you keep coming back and, uh, don't, you know, don't walk away. And others just, you know, hey, I'm ready for the next chapter, which is fine. And, you know, with him, you know, after 2000 and not making the team, he's like, I'm ready for the next chapter. And, um, and he was really content with that where I would have been like, what what do you mean? I got to keep trying. Yeah.
0: In 2000, you were really just starting to build momentum. And I know for a good chunk of your, I mean, you still have a competitive career, but for a good chunk of your non ultra running competitive career, you were coached by the legendary Jack Daniels. Right. When did he first come into your life?
1: So, uh, I was, uh, I was training for CIM, which was, I think, in 2000. And um And you run a
0: marathon to that point?
1: Yes. Okay. I ran the Cleveland Marathon, which was my first marathon. And I remember getting, um, it was like secondhand training plan put together by Vin LaNana for someone else- uh, that was doing a first marathon and I got a copy of it and I started training, went to Cleveland, things didn't work out really well. I think I still went 245, but you know, I was training for, you know, sub 240, and <clears throat> I definitely got hooked on like, this is what I want to do for so many reasons. One was because it was complementary to my lifestyle. Uh, I was working like three jobs and trying to, you know, be a pro runner, and it was hard. It was really hard to to train for a five k when you have to do workouts at six a m but I could definitely go for a ten mile run and still go to work. It just complemented where I was in my life so <clears throat> i uh I did Cleveland Marathon and then quickly decided that uh, I wanted to do c i m and during the in-between the two, uh, I got a note from Peter Gilmore, who said, hey, I'm joining the farm team. You should too. And here's why. Uh, this guy, Jack Daniels, is going to be coaching the distance group. And I'm like, Jack Daniels? I cite him in all of my papers in school. <laughs> so I, I looked up Jack Daniels. I'm like, that's same the guy. same guy. <laughs> But wait a second. Does he coach? Does he teach? Does he do academia? He ah, he does both. So I said, I'm in. So I followed Gilmore, uh, to, you know, to, to the farm team,
0: which is in Palo Alto, which was
1: in Palo Alto. And I still stayed here and made that commute not every day. But, uh, uh, if you know Jack, it's, you know, he is the easiest person to, to work with. So mm-hmm. that, um, you know, that the relationship pretty quickly just uh, turned into, you know, something uh, pretty cool. You know, he didn't stay with the farm team for uh, for very long, but him and I continued to work for the next decade.
0: Mm-hmm. And 2008 was a big year for you. Um, we're missing a big chunk of time there between like 2000 and, and 2008. But at what point during that stretch did you really feel like, you know, I might have a shot at making an Olympic team?
1: I thought that I had a shot in 2004 uh I just i blew it, and I didn't really deliver that day uh as well and there were people that were better than me, <laughs> but I finished fifth and in disappointing fifth um all the uh maybe not as bad as you know, I didn't feel maybe as bad as Blake did um she totally blew it. I'm just kidding
0: <laughs> <laughs> she got uh, a redemption for we later both did well.
1: yeah, <laughs> but uh. No, it's, you know, again, that race, like I, you know, I, I knew the women that, you know, that were in my race, but I didn't know them as well as I know them now. And they're all good friends, um, especially Blake. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, Blake went out super hard that year, had the lead and got past, you know, uh, and finished for it, uh, didn't make the team. And, you know, I was kind of gaining, um, on, uh, on, uh, on Blake as, as well. Uh, just, um, I got past it my 22 or so by, uh, Jen Ryans. So, um, you know, I mean that I remember that day and you know, I showed up, I'm like, I have a pretty good chance. So it was already in my mind, I think four years with Jack Daniels, I was, well prepared but just not quite there I think I needed more time to develop but in my mind I you know I was I knew that I at least had a shot at making the team
0: oftentimes after a race like that you can be initially deflated and disappointed to come so close when you thought you had a shot Um, but you can also be really motivated and obviously you, you stuck with it what were those four years like between 2004 and 2008 for you
1: not great. <laughs> um, yes, I did have a very initial, I was heartbroken. Excited, I got a taste of it in that race. Wow, if I only had more in me, right? So close. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, the women that beat me were just amazing women. Uh, and they had a lot more experience and training. And um, So, you know, it, I didn't see it that way on that day. Um, but I walked away pretty disappointed with myself and, um, kind of had some hard decisions to make. You know, you ask yourself, all right, um, you just spent four years working part time, sometimes two jobs. Uh, do you continue this lifestyle to, you know, just have a chance at making it? Um, Got four years to, you know, to, to put it together. And that's considering that you're actually going to stay healthy. So a lot of it just goes through your mind, you know, as a pro runner and, you know, either track and field or marathons, you're definitely thinking in four year cycles. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, luckily, you know, I, I was married to Richie by then and, he was nothing but encouraging and supporting, and just kept telling me like, "What if you just train full time? What if you walk away from your job and actually give it a go?"
0: He understood what it he, took too. Yeah,
1: and he's—I I felt like he was always disappointed that I didn't throw myself hundred percent into it. Um, but instead of listening to him, I said, "Well, why don't we just get pregnant?" And then, uh, then I still have three more years. <laughs> So that's what we did. Yeah. <laughs> um, literally, you know, by, uh, by August, uh, I was pregnant and Owen was born in May. And I, by then, was super hungry to, you know, to get back to training. But it took me another year to kind of, um,
0: just get back, just
1: get back some consistency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I forced a few things here and there and it backfired, but overall I, you know, I, uh, I got back, uh, back to training, uh, consistent training. Um, and, um, yeah, and I was, I never, I, I left, actually, I left Go exactly a year to a dad um, mm-hmm. before Olympic trials. Uh, you know, it was a really hard decision. In 04 or 08? In 07. So o- oh, 08, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so I was So I was working full-time at Goo And I remember, you know, coming to my boss and said, I need to try this. I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life if I don't. And obviously I wasn't asking anyone to keep my position here and my job. But I just, I felt like, I was confident enough in 2007 to walk away and, and, and put it all on the line. Um, and it was really supportive, really understanding. And, and it worked out. You know, I, um, although I, two, three months later, I started coaching at Cal. So my, uh, my full-time position, uh, my full-time position as an athlete lasted three months. <laughs> Um, or were you maybe coaching a full-time time at
0: Cal or I as was, an assistant?
1: I was coaching full-time. Okay. Um, and Tony Sandoval became the head coach and I took over the distance, uh, men and women and I had a blast. I loved it. I definitely, uh, realized how difficult it is to coach and train sure.
0: and
1: not physically, but emotionally. I I had to really quickly figure out how to get all of my workouts in before I coached. Because once I started interacting with kids, I was ready to pour everything into it and there was very little left for me.
0: Yeah. That emotional, you know, that, yeah, that emotional energy that you pour into your own training and then you've got to divert it somewhere else or at least take what's left of it and and put it somewhere else uh, is not an easy balancing act. How old were you at the time?
1: Cool. 2007. Um, I'm going to be 45 next week. So. Uh, All right. So that's wait, you,
0: 2018, 34. Yeah.
1: Yes. Cause okay. Owen was only a couple years old okay. and he was born in 2005 and I was like 30. Yeah. 33 one. Yeah.
0: What was attractive about coaching for you at the time to go from your three months as a full-time athlete to taking the coaching job at Cal?
1: I waited 10 years for that job. <clears throat> Or to be part of, you know, the program and the coaching staff. I, you know, f- at s- some level, I've always, uh, stayed involved, uh, at Cal, uh, coaching, uh, helping here and there whenever I could, even when I was working at Gu. And it's just an amazing opportunity to work with some amazing kids. And it's so much fun to watch him, um, you know, just progress into, and to, you know, to coming out of high school and if you get an opportunity to watch them for four years, it's the coolest thing ever. Um, and that was really, I mean, to this day, you know, it's, um, I hope that one day I'll get an opportunity to to do that again.
0: Yeah. Have you maintained a lot of those relationships that you made with yeah, the athletes? Absolutely. During that time? Yeah. Yeah. So let's fast forward a bit to the 2008 mm-hmm. trials, which took place in 2007. I was there. Yeah. I remember watching that race in Boston. And you were way out front.
1: For a long- well, you were probably one of the people that were screaming in my ear saying, you're crazy, you're going to die.
0: <laughs> I, d- I actually didn't think that at the time because you looked so good. Um, and you looked really confident, even though I think you had, you had to have like a two or three minute lead at halfway, if I'm, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you were just running steady, running steady. So It's the most, cons- most consistent, like
1: if you look at my splits, uh, a race that I think I've ever had.
0: How confident were you going into it?
1: Uh, you know, I was really content with my preparation more than anything. I, if you really think what, like a few months prior to it, I actually tore my plantar fascia and I dropped out of uh, uh, St. Louis um, Marathon <clears throat> and Twin Cities. I went to Twin Cities. It was a really hot day. My plantar fascia was about to snap and I s- stepped it aside. I think it mile like 14. Um I came home and I basically said, "This is it. My running is over." I I I remember sitting on a couch and just crying, going, "I don't think I can do this. Like this 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 is really not fun and uh I can't even run pain-free. And I should, just, I should just move on. I think it's, it's, I, it's, time. Um, it's time for me. And Richie looked at me and goes, can we just talk about just fixing your injury before we talk about ending your career? <laughs> can we do one step at a time? We'll, we'll tackle that later. But why don't we just fit, just focus on getting healthy first?
0: Um, Let's hit pause yeah. there for a quick second. How much of a voice of reason is Richie for you? Or has he been throughout the years?
1: Oh, tremendous. Yeah. I'm always, you know, I'm always like glass twice as full. And I always think he's like glass, not even half empty. I'm like, you're like on the bottom of empty. He's like, no, I'm just a realist. (laughs) You're just so far out there with with optimism that it, that's what it looks like to you. But I'm just a realist. So no, it's, he's a, a, Tremendous balance to you know to 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 me.
0: So, all right, you've got this planner Mm injury. You're thinking it's October. Yeah, it's October. I'm done. Yeah, like that's the end of my career. Take me through October to trials in April of 2007.
1: All right. So, I first thing I did, I listened to Richie, and I decided to just full on approach this. This planter thing has been going on for years. Um, It's just got really bad suddenly. And I went to see Dr. Saxena, and I also stopped running. I also did all the rehab. I did everything that a person can do to, uh, uh, you know, to for plantar fasciitis and to approach it from, like, multifactorial mm-hmm. uh, versus one thing at a time. And it's what I've done in the past. I'm going to focus on massage. I'm going to focus on stretching. Next thing, I'm going to focus on, you know uh shockwave therapy uh i did one thing at a time and it always came back here i did everything at the same time so actually i don't even know what worked uh what worked is that i did everything at the same full time full court press full, absolutely full time i'm going to focus on this uh i also stopped running for uh for 4 weeks and by november i started jogging a little bit I remember we went on vacation to Hawaii and I don't know, maybe it was just the warm weather, but my planter was feeling really good. I actually got like a run every day and I came back from Hawaii and I went to see Jack Daniels uh, at like middle of December to middle of January during the winter break. And I put in some really really good consecutive, you know, five weeks of training at altitude. Uh is this flagstaff? Flagstaff, Snowden. Uh I did some key workouts with uh with Jack Daniels. And I remember there was a lot of snow, so I had to do a lot of loops. Um, which didn't realize, but that's what the Olympic trials was. Right. I
0: Criterion Course.
1: Prepared for that. I did tulips of five miles in the morning, tulips of five miles, uh uh, at night and during the weekend, I did four loops or so five miles.
0: So monotony was not a problem for no.
1: you. <laughs> I got, well, over five weeks, I got trained to, you know, to, to run loops. Uh, and I got, along the way I got fit and, um, uh, I remember coming back and I just kind of continued, uh, through, you know, through the spring, nothing really spectacular. I did, you know, did what my workout sheet said and, uh, the morning of the trials, uh, I had coffee with, uh, with Jack Daniels and we talked about everything but the race. I told him how my recruit dumped me and went to MIT instead of coming to Cal. And he told me about his team. We mostly talked about the kids that we coach. And, mm-hmm. um, at the end, he's like, all right, you, you got to go. I said, yeah. He goes, do you know what to do today? I'm like, I know, I know what to do. He goes, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to run my own race. He goes, great. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, uh, I said, I'm going to run 230. He's like, you're in shape to run 230. You're going to run 545s. Sweet. Done. That's all we said about the race. I went out, first mile was 545. I ran 230 that day. Yeah. Yeah, and no one was with me, and everyone was screaming that I was crazy and that I was going to eventually die. But I kept clicking on 545s and nothing, you know, nothing really. It felt great to run that consistent.
0: Did any of it rattle you just being out front by yourself and hearing all these people like,
1: you're going to die. And,
0: and like I mean, everyone else, you don't even know where they are. They're not even within sight of you.
1: Right. No, it was amazing. I mean, the way that Boston, you know, organized the trials. We have, you know, all the people that are running Boston the next day are cheering for you. It was four deep. There were times where like Jack uh, uh, Jack Daniels was Trying to to get on the chorus, but he had to be, you know, just like, almost like on the building, screaming from, you know, from above, you know, something. There were like, many open spots. He, I would worry that he was, you know, he was going to trip and fall. I'm like, what is he doing there? But no, it was very exciting. Like the crowds, despite me hearing occasionally that people, you know, were saying that I'm not going to hold the space. For the most part, the majority of the people were just like fueling the fire in my belly. It was just so mm-hmm. exciting. And it was the first time for me where, you know, I was kind of, you know, uh I was doing it. Yeah. You know, I was uh kind of in a spotlight right there and feeling and not struggling. Like that was I you know, I can count, you know, on my two hands exactly like how many races felt that good. And that's one of them. Uh, where you just everything is clicking, you don't worry about too much. You in a flow, you occasionally hear people, but most of the time it's just this noise and you're just in your own little world just doing what you love to do. And that was a lot of fun and I would just giggle occasionally and um and then occasionally I would see Richie and he would try to tell me like what's happening behind me in the race, I'm like wow, this is so bizarre. Like how, how am I out here? I'm not running that fast.
0: And eventually Dina caught you.
1: Eventually Dina came flying by me. I think Dina was, uh, you know, to this day, just analyzing that race. It's, it's it's a lot of fun because Dina decided to do what, you know, what Dina's strength was. And she was going to drop a hammer, pretty hard hammer at halfway point. Uh, so for make the a, first, make a move that she knew no one could go with. Could, I mean, if you look at the field, no one had the speed of Dina. you know, she level. was on another level. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> she could afford to do that. She could afford to jog for the first half and then drop, you know, whatever needed to be, you know, done 112 uh, in a half, if that's what she needed to do. Uh unfortunately like no one in the field was able to you know to have a negative split like this mm-hmm. so everyone decided to sit on dina um because she was dictating the pace um and only few people were able to cover her move um so you know that you know after the half um point, uh, it, you know, the race in the back just, you know, got got kind of crazy. Whoever was able to, you know, to, to run a second half faster than, you know, one other person. And I, by then I already had enough in a bank where, you know, I just needed to maintain.
0: Were you rattled at all when she came by you or were you just confident because you were hitting your splits and you knew you were having a good day?
1: Uh, I, you know, I mean, I knew she was coming because I kept getting like she's getting closer and closer. And I tried, like, when, when Dina passed me, she passed me on the other side of the road, uh, went by, and I said, screw it. I'm going to try to hang with her for as long as I can.
0: Why not? <laughs>
1: Why not? So I crossed over to her side. It didn't last very long, but I tried.
0: <laughs> At what point of the race did you feel confident that you were going to hold on to that spot and make the team?
1: Well, she passed me like between 22 and 23, so by the time, you know, I tried to hang with her for a little bit, and, you know, by the time I got to mile 24, I, I mean, I, I knew, and the last two miles were pretty emotional, like, it, it hit me, like, this is actually happening, this is, like, you've been, you've been with Jack Daniels for 10 years now almost, and all that work, it just keeps like, you know, it's like, it's like a movie in front of you. Just it flashes to all the stuff that didn't go well, that it was worth it. Imagine if you never got off that couch in October and actually moved on. Um, and, you know, like seeing Richie just popping out of like random places on the course. And I could tell that he's breaking down. And it was the longest two miles of my life. But it was just the emotions that were going through, through you know, through me.
0: Did they hit you even harder once you crossed the finish line and oh, it was yeah. certain at that point?
1: It hit me pretty hard when I made that final turn onto Boylston and I saw, you know, just huge American flag just hanging and yeah, it, I t- totally broke down.
0: As an immigrant to this country, what did that, how did that factor in at the time when, you know, you had just made the Olympic team for, yeah. you know, your new country, you'd been a citizen for, I think like seven years at that point. Right. Um, did you think about that a lot in that moment?
1: Oh, absolutely especially since I became a U.S. citizen on September 11, 2001. Right, we didn't even get that, into that. No, uh, but yeah, it, it definitely did. It's It was really heavy. Like, I, you know, I just remember just, you know, that last, you know, 400 meters, it was just a lot of just like kind of choking and and keep trying to keep it together, but I was definitely crying, um, and it was happy tears, but also kind of heavy.
0: Mm-hmm. What was the first thing that Jack said to you after the race?
1: Good dog. That's
0: <laughs> good dog?
1: Good dog. That's his That's his saying. Chewy, good dog. I
0: love it. You,
1: you know, you have to earn the good dog uh, from Jack Daniels. Like if you have a good workout and you actually nail it, uh, you, you know, sometimes like if I would be off by, you know, a few seconds. Because wake up. You, you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta wake up. You gotta stay awake when you, you know, when you are hitting your splits and then when you hit everything and you accomplish a really good workout, he would tell you good dog. And that's all he would say. And you know that like earning that was, yeah, it was a good day.
0: You just mentioned the longevity of that relationship. How important is that and coming at this as an athlete at the time and, and now someone who has coached people as well, like how important is that long-term relationship to making a, not even just making a training program work, but your overall development as an athlete?
1: Oh yeah. It's priceless. You know, I, <clears throat> I'm a, obviously a huge believer in consistency and longevity and your coach and you learn so much of what works and what doesn't and that there is not one way to, you know, to to get from point A to point B. And if you stay with someone long enough they're going to find a way and get creative to get the work done in a way that it's complementary to you, that enhances and, uh your you know, your progress, that you can thrive. But if you keep switching from, you know, one thing to another, you never really give it a chance. You don't um, have the
0: consistency. You don't either. have the
1: consistency. Like you know, it's um and you know, you see this all the time where, you know, athletes um, you know, either get frustrated and um because they feel like it's not working but yeah when you find the right person it's so worth giving it uh enough time to to blossom over years over time because um yeah it's it's really all, all about finding that consistency and that's the beautiful thing about running That you know You need to figure out how not to get hurt. You need to figure out that, you know, there's certain workouts that might not be the best for you, but that's not the only way to get that job, you know, done, that there is another workout a coach can prescribe that will accomplish the same thing. But that's never going to happen if you don't go through, you know, to the process of learning about each other. And Jack was, you know, incredible at that. And, you know, in my years of training with him, there was one thing that I never enjoyed doing, and it was Marathon Pace work as a marathoner. I hated it. I'm like, I don't like Marathon Pace. And he would figure out how, how to get me to do that work with enjoyment.
0: It's like giving a kid medicine that they don't want to take.
1: Yeah. It's it's a you know, I'm like, is there... Can I do something else to accomplish this? Yeah. Or can I just race at marathon pace? I never like to do marathon pace by myself. Yeah. I, to me, when's it's this race pace, you're you're in a group with people and you 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 know, you're in a race. That's reserved. And I for a to certain res- time and it was place. reserved in my head. <laughs> like I couldn't really I didn't want that anxiety or go through that process of, you know, of uh of hitting race pace by myself. Like that association was never um it was never it never clicked.
0: Uh, we don't have a ton of time left yeah. here. So I want to fast forward quite a few years. Now you're an ultra runner, a competitive one at that. When did that start scratching at you? And when did you finally decide, I'm going to scratch this itch and try out an ultra distance race? In
1: 2012, when I didn't make the team, I, um, again, I kind of walked away from Olympic trials kind of feeling that I needed to try something new, During uh, in your for,
0: late thirties at the time.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about to turn 40. <clears throat> so I, you know, again, I believe that to have longevity in a sport, you do need to, you know, keep it interesting. You do need to, you know, um, try different things and, you know, um, and not do the same thing for, you know, for, for a decade. Um, And most people that do that kind of just, you know, walk away from, you know, from the sport versus maybe trying something different. And, you know, I I wasn't ready to walk away. I loved running way too much to just walk away from because I wasn't going to make an Olympic team. Um, So I kind of said, you know, I go for myself. I said, you know, 2013 is going to be I'm going to turn 40 midlife crisis try <laughs> some new things. try some new things and i wanted to do a mile race uh because i can compete as a as a masters uh runner on the road uh which was in august and then uh someone convinced me to 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 do a trail race i said okay well i'll pick something like the 50 miler in in san francisco marin headlands two completely different things within 3 months 4 months that was a good challenge to take on. It was so fun to kind of think about it as a, you know, as a challenge, how I'm going to go from racing on the road for a mile to doing a 50-miler.
0: Had you had any interest in ultra running toward the end of your competitive road racing career?
1: No, I've never really thought about it. Um, I, I never really, I've always trained, you know, that's kind of the probably most frustrating part that road runners just get labeled as, you know, people that run on roads all the time. But for me, you know, living where I live, I had to make an effort to run on roads Mm -hmm. and actually took a lot of effort. I actually drove to do a marathon workout from here to Sawyer Camp, um, just so I could, you know, do like continuous road running because everything else I was on trails. So I've always been a trail runner. I just never got a chance to compete Mm -hmm. in trail races so to me kind of when i first heard like oh road runners only run on roads i'm like that's not true that's not what i do um but and i kind of blame it like my interest in ultra running more like on social media yeah because i actually got a chance to see where people race and i said what
0: just looks so cool
1: did people go and 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 run in the mountains (laughs) Well, before I just heard about it, I've never visually, you know, was exposed to it. And that was really, I was really intrigued by, you know, putting my foot on those trails. Yeah.
0: Is the competitiveness of ultra running and trail running any different for you than when you were racing on the roads?
1: Uh, a a little bit. Uh, I, 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 in what way, um, in what way, Dayton?
0: Is it just, um does it feel like less pressure when you show up at a at a trail race versus when you're at a marathon and you're like, I know there's like two dozen women here who could hand it to me right. today. Um, whereas at some ultra races you show up, I mean, some of them are yeah. like that. Oh, absolutely.
1: Um, yeah. I think it depends on the race. You yeah. know, I show up to UTMB or you know like who you're competing against. There's always a dark horse. You know, I was one of them at some point. Um, and um, yeah, I think... You, despite whether you have 10,000 people, uh, on the line or you have 500 people, three, you know, who you're competing against. Uh, you know, that, you know, that, uh, what's me. And I probably knew that was a lot more predictable in road running. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I love ultra running because, you know, there's so much more to yeah. to it than, than just like having certain times in one certain races. It's really, you know, a lot of it has to do with how you deal with all the stuff that are getting thrown at you. And that's what makes ultra running so much more exciting. So
0: many more variables. So
1: many variables. I mean, yes. ultra running
0: gets lumped as this this one thing. Right. It's like reality is like you could have two very different types of 50K races or even like a hilly marathon versus the flat marathon. They're not too different. And right. then 100 miles, like might as well be another sport. Yeah. Um, and then you've Western the, States to UTMB oh, is two yeah. totally different you've races. You've got terrain,
1: you've got environment, you've got, you know... Uh, just, you know, that that day, how are you able to deal with the adversity that is coming at you? And things change from race to race. So uh I think it was a lot more predictable in road running, like how I was going to finish and who was going to be in a you know top ten, top five, and uh, it kind of stayed the same, mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. in ultra running, yeah, forget that. <laughs> it's uh you, you can have the fastest person not finishing the race.
0: Yeah. Last two questions. What still excites you competitively? For yourself?
1: The places I haven't seen, uh, definitely. I, you know, I think that uh, uh, I'm kind of, I still think I'm, I'm relatively new in ultra running, so there's things I don't know how to do well. And it's the room to improve. I think that that is always something that gets me really excited that I can, that I can, uh, they can improve at something. And There's plenty stuff on the list and just, you know, getting, uh, getting more women in, the uh, in, uh, in the sport of, uh, ultra running. I think it's growing and it's exciting. Um, and yeah, if I can just uh, contribute to like getting more people to explore the, the places that we get to play, uh, that's, that's a win-win.
0: And as someone who has been involved in the sport now for a long time and at many different levels and in many different disciplines and in many different roles as an athlete, as a coach, as someone who works for a company that's in the industry, what about running right now is exciting you in 2018?
1: Just in 2018, yeah. um, or, or at yeah, this just, period, yeah. at this yeah. period yeah. in time, um, well, a lot of things. Again, seeing more women uh, participate in races is really exciting to me. Um, it's really exciting to me that uh, that we the, so many more opportunities to race for us are just popping up. You know, from you know, from uh, from all types of races where we get to expose just all runners to, you know, to, to amazing, um, to our amazing planet. I mean, I think ultra running is, uh, and, and the races that, uh, uh, that are starting to, to pop out are, are really an opportunity for most people to go and explore, um, this planet and, um, and that's, yeah, that's super exciting because, it unless you unless you like a hardcore hiker you don't really get to see these places and experience them and that's that's just priceless like there's so many more places that i know i want to see and if i can encourage people to to go and see them um and take care of it and stand behind to protect them <laughs> that's uh that's a bonus
0: yeah it's pretty amazing where our own two legs can take us
1: absolutely yeah it's, it's experiences that just you know that that's what life is about doesn't get any better than this.
0: Great. So much more I want to talk to you about, but we'll put a pin in it there for now. I guess we'll have to do a follow-up at some point. Magda, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you. Thank you,
0: Marion. This was fun. And that's a wrap on this week's show, which was brought to you by UCAN. If you want long-lasting energy without the big crash, give UCAN products a try before your next long run. UCAN is offering Morning Shakeout listeners a super cool sample pack. It includes one packet of UCAN Superstarch Drink Mix, one packet of UCAN Protein Drink Mix, and one UCAN Snack Bar, all for under 5 bucks. Best part, it includes free shipping. Get it for yourself at generationucan.com slash morningshakeout and see what you think. My thanks to all of you for listening into this episode. If you want to support the podcast, the easiest way is by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your audio content and leaving a rating and a review. It'll only take a minute, but it helps other listeners discover the show. Not to mention, it means a lot to me. I'm super appreciative for all the love and support you've thrown my way so far. Really, I'm just blown away by it all. So thank you so, so much. One final thanks from my man, John Isaac, for all his audio and editing work behind the scenes. He is the reason that this show sounds as good as it does week in and week out. So thank you, John. All right, that's all I've got for now. Until next time, I'm Mario Fraile, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout podcast.